Hello, welcome back to the National Podcast. <laughs> this special John has a cold and also there's a fucking tornado warning in Chicago episode of the National Podcast. Uh, my guest this week is perennial friend of the podcast, Caroline Cena. Caroline is a writer, a tweeter, pop culture aficionado. Uh, we talked about the Oscars. We talked about all sorts of things pop culture related. Movies, other podcasts besides this one you're listening to right now. Uh, it was a really fun talk. Anyway, here it is, my talk with Caroline. Hi, Caroline. How are you doing? Uh, I'm okay. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. We are recording this over Skype because there are tornadoes in Chicago. Tonight. Yeah, but I'm from St. Louis, so I'm pretty chill about tornadoes. So oh, I, really? if you had really wanted me to, I would have gone out in this weather for you, John. But I think this was a much better option. Oh, I appreciate it. See, I'm from New York, and my only experience with Twisters uh, is Wizard of Oz. I didn't even oh, yeah. see uh, Twister. I've never seen Twister. I oh, only know R.I.P. Bill Paxton. R.I.P. Bill Paxton. What the fuck? Yeah, really sad. That's pretty fucked up. Um, so we are two days out from maybe the greatest Oscars moment <laughs> of all time. And I, I want to talk about the whole show, but first I, I want to hear your experience of the last five minutes of that broadcast. Yeah. Because it's truly extraordinary and it's something I think we're all going to remember for the rest of our lives. Those yeah, of us who I are had, watching it live. I had like every five minutes or, or not five minutes, every couple hours or so yesterday, I would just like all of a sudden think about it and have this mixture of like horrible secondhand embarrassment, but also like really fun. Like I really wanted to laugh. It was a very like I just kept returning to it. Um, but my actual experience, I had two friends over to watch that night. Um I had been kind of a little bit bored up until that point and like it got to the end. Da, 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 da. I sort of knew right away that something was weird. As soon as I saw that guy with the headset, right. I used to stage manage. And so I was just like, I just had a, I was like, that is the bad, bad, bad sign. Like what? Yeah. Oh, I bet they didn't actually win. Mostly thinking it was a joke, but also like, what, what, what? And then it was just like the, I don't know. It was just one of the most insane things that I've ever witnessed on live TV. And like, I actually, there was a moment too, where like we can talk about Jimmy Kimmel, but like I do think that there was one moment where he was like, "Hey, it's like it's not life or death. Like this is just an award show." And that actually was like I was like that was the right thing to say. That was a nice thing to say. Yeah, that was the one I was like, okay, and that that is like one I was like, oh, this is really funny and like ridiculous. So yeah. I don't know. That was my that was my experience. It's like it's hard not to laugh, but also not. Like, I sympathize with everybody in that situation. 100%. Like, horrible for everyone. Poor 79 like, year old Warren Beatty, who didn't know what he was looking at, but had too much pride to ask for help. Yeah. Um, Which I empathize with too. I yeah. sometimes do that. I'm like, I'm just going to barrel through and it'll all be fine. Like, I really, like, hindsight is 2020, but, like, I'm very empathetic to he him. He didn't want to look like an idiot on national television. I know. And I think that's why he handed it to Faye Dunaway, because he's like, I don't know what the fuck to do. With this envelope. Yeah. This I thought so it was weird. more of a... People have been saying he tried to throw her under the bus and, like, make her read it. My read was more that he was like, what do we collectively do? Yes. And that she didn't quite get that message, understandably. And yes. I, yeah, I don't really put any one person at fault, necessarily. I, I agree. I think I don't think he was like, oh, something's messed up. Looks like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna right. to make it Faye's fault. I think he just kind of was... Uh, like, uh, I, I don't want to say something... 
Because if I'm wrong, then I look like a real doofus. Yeah. But here, what about you, Faye? <clears throat> and Faye just sees the movie. Yeah. And it's like, it's La La Land, I'm going to go backstage. Yeah. And apparently she immediately went backstage and started eating nuts. <laughs> like, like started, Good for her. Like, went into the green room and immediately started, like, throwing down cashews or almonds or something. God bless you, Faye Dunham. I mean, I bet women treasure. don't eat for, like, two days before the Oscars to get into their dresses. So, like, that would be me, too. If I hadn't eaten for two days, I would have been in those do you think snacks Faye, backstage as soon as I could. Do you think Faye Dunaway still does that? I mean, she's, like, 80 oh, uh, now. Yeah, I think any women in Hollywood do. Yeah, I mean, like, what's, I mean, she's been waiting all night. It's a long-ass night. <laughs> you know, she doesn't care anymore. She wants to go home and eat her cashews. Yeah. It's a it's a weird thing, and it's like, it, first off, shout out to Northwestern alumni Jordan Horowitz mm-hmm. for immediately stepping up. Uh, I I think being told you won the highest honor in your field and then having the trophy literally snatched out of your hand is the most Northwestern thing that's ever <laughs> happened. Ever. It's ever, ever happened. If you, <laughs> if you know anything about Northwestern sports, or even just Northwestern students, that's the most perfect thing ever. The only bummer is that Moonlight didn't get that moment that like Yeah, I think it's really a bummer for anyone for everyone. Like it sucks to get up there and give all these beautiful speeches and then be told you're you lost. Like that's like really one of the like top five most embarrassing things you think could happen to a person. It sucks that Moonlight had this weird like thing hanging over them and didn't get the I mean, I think I think the silver lining is that no one will forget La La Land and Moonlight. Whereas yes. this year, going into this Oscars, I could not for like $100 have remembered that The Revenant won a bunch of things, but Spotlight won Best Picture last year. Like that information just fled my mind, but I will not be forgetting Moonlight and La La Land. So I guess that's the silver lining, but I do agree that it's a it's a bummer that Moonlight didn't get their proper, their proper like well, jubilant they're, moment. They're still throwing it up on like 1,500 screens this weekend. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's great. And then winning separate from all of the chaos like the fact that that movie won i think is really great because that was easily my favorite movie of last year so i think that that's like that's nice that that worked out the way it should have i think it's also like so unprecedented for a movie like that to win like in a Mm -hmm. a, i mean not completely fictional obviously but like an original story told for a million (laughs) dollars You know, with no big name actors that yeah. isn't about Hollywood. Yeah. Is like to win. I think w- it's one win. of the. Yeah, I think it's one of the lowest, like the lowest budget movies to win an Oscar. I believe I read that it was the first all black cat, uh, movie with an all black cast to win yes. an Oscar. And then um, Guy Branham was talking on Twitter today that it was like one of the only gay movies like a gay to win an Oscar that doesn't feature I guess I mean this is like not really a spoiler but like that does death of some like yeah like, you know the movies that we award tend to be these tragedies and that this yes. was one that like you know I won't I won't say how it ends but like there is not this element of like a tragic murder yes. in it and so yes. I think that that's really cool that is cool I mean it's like you know you wonder how significant it would have been if like a Brokeback Mountain won but Brokeback mm-hmm. Mountain is a tragedy and this is a yeah. bit more like I, you know, it, it's a lot more about regular people, mm-hmm. you know, just like kind of living their lives mm-hmm. as opposed to like ain't movies grand or isn't this like real person 
mm. inspiring, <laughs> which is like the typical best picture f- fair. Yeah, it's, it's cool. really exciting. It's also like more meaningful. Like the reason why it, it's cool that Moonlight won is that like fans of La La Land. Like it wasn't as big to fans of La La Land that La La Land win Best Picture than it was right. to people who wanted Moonlight to win. Like that recognition, I think, is far more meaningful. And I think in the end, it was a really. It's not like La La Land got shut out. Like it was a really no. nice, actually, split between the awards. Like yeah. they were very well recognized, director and actress, um, and a bunch, and some other technical awards as well. And then Moonlight had Mahershala Ali, and they won screenplay. Yeah. So it was a really. I actually thought it was a nice split between the yeah. two. I, I think each won the awards it deserved to win. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like which? How many Oscar years could you say that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, go, going back, even, like, the past few years, it's like, that one? What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> what was what I was looking at today? Like, the artist. The artist won. <laughs> I think that one's kind of the famous one that people, that was such a big deal in the moment, and then it's kind of been forgotten a bit since then. Like... Maybe unfairly so, but how it many, definitely has. How many times has any human being in America texted to their friend, hey, want to come over and watch The Artist tonight? <laughs> it was good, though. I liked it when I saw it. I mean, I can't say I'm having people over for viewing parties of it, but yeah, I don't know. Good. I don't begrudge it that. Yeah, I don't begrudge it. It's just, it's a weird... It's weird that Oscar movies have become so decentralized from the zeitgeist in a lot of ways. For sure. You know, sure. like, at the time, got, like, Godfather was a massive box office hit. And the movies that a lot of people are seeing, I mean, and this has been going on for the past decade, are not the movies, typically, I mean, like, give or take an Avatar, that are getting nominated, that are getting big Oscar buzz. I mean, La La Land made $400 million, but I I don't think anybody would pretend, like, oh, everybody saw La La Land. Right, right. Yeah, I guess to me... I don't even necessarily think, like, that the Oscars are actually... And I haven't for some time thought, like, oh, this is actually representation of the best films. Like, the Oscars are what they are. There are certain types of movies they want to nominate. It's fun to see those movies, and it's fun to care about them, but I don't... I don't personally view the Oscars as, like, my judgment of what's good and bad, and I'm going to have that personally, and I can, you know, enjoy... I can go to these comic book sites that want to argue about the best comic book movies, and I can watch the Oscars for, like, what's the best pretentious movie, and I... You know what I mean? So... I guess I don't, I've just learned as I've gotten older to like not put so much stake in it and just sort of like not let that be a stress in my life. Right. It's also like not really the big career boost that it used to be or if it ever was. Mm-hmm. Like the lead guy from The Artist won Best Actor, right. but it's not like you're seeing him all over right, right. American screens. I mean, Monique yeah. won Best Supporting Actress and it's not like that created an avalanche of opportunities for her. Yeah, I, mean, I think sometimes that the, it is, but sometimes it isn't. I think that they're that the people who are going to have the easiest time getting work, maybe it's a little bit of a help. The people who are going to have the hardest time getting work in Hollywood, mostly women and like people of color, and certainly like women of color, it's, it's probably not going to help that much. Like, then that I think is the Monique thing. Like, how many roles for black women are there in major studio pictures? Like, not very many. So, yeah, I think it's it's fine up to a point, but it's not the be all end all of what I think of the film industry. Well, and it's also if 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 a role 
was a major break for an actor that they happened to win an Oscar for, like Lupita Nyong'o. That role, mm-hmm. if she hadn't won, it's not like she needed that for that movie to have elevated her. That was the capstone, but it wasn't mm-hmm. like that movie. And I think Mahershala Ali, it's going to be the same thing. And mm-hmm. if he didn't win that Oscar, the opportunities were going to come rolling in anyway. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, although again, like look at what Lupita's done since winning her Oscar, which is a couple CGI roles, and then that Disney thing where she played a mom. Like, no knock on her. I, I, do, I do think the opportunities in Hollywood are not there equally for everyone. And as elevated as she was, it's interesting to compare her win with like maybe some guys that have won Oscars in the past. Cause I think hers, hers is a career that like, I'm still very excited to see what she does. I've loved everything she's done since 12 years a slave, but I do, I, I do kind of feel like, yeah, other people might get more opportunities than like you get to be the wolf mom in the jungle book and this CGI character in star Wars. And you know what I mean? Like when, when are we putting Lupita Nyong'o in a cool blockbuster? And I guess right. that's black Panther. Is she in black Panther? I think so. I feel like everyone yeah. is in black Panther. They like, um, but like, let's get her a starring vehicle, you know? Yeah. It, it's interesting. You say that because it felt to me like watching on television, that it was a weird moment in the room when he won. Like if you I and I did some research of this to make sure I wasn't just speaking out of my ass, but it looked like he got a lot mo- much more of a tepid response than some of the previous winners, not just that night but in past years. You know, he just there's just people didn't seem that happy for him except for he, his brother. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I can't. Yeah, <laughs> he was happy. I pick up on that, but I also wasn't looking for it, so it's certainly possible. Um but, I mean, people voted for him, you know, some, maybe the actors personally sitting around him didn't, but clearly he got a majority of the votes. I do think Brie well, Larson Denzel won become, the set. Because she's, they always have the person who won. So, yeah, this, well, at the Oscars, too, she didn't, like, there's a, there's a clip of her not clapping when everyone else kind of around her is clapping. She didn't go into the hug, because I yeah. think he sort of, like, went in for the hug, but yeah. um, she's had to give him the award at a bunch of uh, different award shows, because they always have the best actress from the yeah. previous year give it to the best actor. So I think she's had her, as small as it may be, little moments of protest. But, I mean, yeah, it might have been tepid, but it wasn't, it certainly was not, like, a condemnation of him, you know? Right. It's, it was just so weird. And his, his acceptance speech was weird. Mm-hmm. Like, he, you know, and I think even before these allegations came out, he, or were more widely publicized, he's always been a bit of a shifty dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or came off as shifty. I don't know. Like, I, you know, obviously we don't know any of these people, but it's, it's, you know, there's always been the thing of, like, he's the less charismatic, less likable younger brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, sure. That's, like, his reputation. And so it's just... I was super happy to see Mahershala Ali win. Yeah, that's In terms great. of the other categories. Yeah, Mahershala... I've been a big Viola. fan of him. I've been a fan of him since the House of Cards days. Oh yeah, I never watched that, but he was great. He has this like tiny role in the Hunger, the last couple Hunger Games, right? And I think he is so good in that. It's like the smallest role, but I think he's so like I really noticed him from that. And then I loved him in Luke Cage. I loved him in Moonlight. So and he had a baby four days before, or his wife had a baby four days before he won an Oscar. That really? is insane. Yes. Oh, oh dude's on a run. Four days. Dude's before. on a run. That's like awesome. what a week in your life. Man, your first child is born. And then four days later, you win an Oscar. Like, that's a, that's a, someone make a movie about that. That's just a great story. Yeah, I want to read that memoir. Yeah. He, he, like, also, shout out to all of us, like, 
existentially angsty 20-somethings. He's 42, and it's just mm-hmm. breaking. You know, we all have time. We all have time, man. Yeah. We'll all be okay. <laughs> He's 42. Viola's 51. Viola yeah. Davis. She looks so good. She's the best. I'm so... It just seems like she wins... She does so many projects. It's like, oh, at the Tonys. Yeah, here she's yeah. winning. Here she's at the Emmys. Like, I'm... She's a very comforting award show presence, and I enjoy watching her win in all of these different things. Because she, like... I mean, she's just so... She knows what to say immediately, and, like, you never mm-hmm. know... And sometimes you're like, oh, wow, she, like, really thought out what she was going to say. And then you see interviews with her where she's answering questions off the cuff. And you're like, no, that's just how she talks. <laughs> <laughs> she, she just puts together these unbelievable screeds right off the top of her head. I do always think it's interesting to see who uses their Oscar speech to make some larger point. And I think you saw that, especially with some of the like foreign film winners who, who made, who had sort of like political speeches or even like, I think Viola and Mahershala like less overtly political, but sort of like having a perspective where other people are just sort of up there to give the thank yous. And I'm always curious in like who goes what direction and how people are choosing to use this platform. Well, it's a very weird moment right now when you know the guy you're talking about might respond to you. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that's a very weird kind of unprecedented moment when the guy will, like... I mean, he's the show business president, but, like, he's going to watch and he's going to say something mean back. That's so weird. It's, like, it, it's weird if you're uh, an actor. Like, are you willing to be a part of that news cycle? Are you willing to do that to yourself? Especially if you're, like, a Mahersha Ali, who a lot of people are hearing of for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, but, like, I I think so. I think people, like, yeah. I think it's good to use your platform in the way that you can. And I think that the oh, I, the repercussions for them are going to be pretty minor, even if even if they do get called out by uh, Mr. Trump himself. I, I agree. I agree that using your platform is good, but I would also, like, like I would understand... I mean, like, lucky for some of these actors, they can make a statement about Trump and not use his name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he won't notice because they didn't use his name. And he's simple-minded and doesn't understand uh, the power of inference or subtext. But, like, it, you know, I, I understand somebody saying, like, I don't want to be subjected to that sort of internet abuse. No, I, sure. get, I get that. I, if somebody said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, these people are crazy. They're going to threaten my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I did feel like, I actually think the Oscars, compared to the other award shows even, it this to me felt like the least political of this year's award shows. Like, it might have been more political than Oscars in the past, but, it, but I think, like, even, like, the Golden Globes and the SAG Awards, maybe just because people have been doing this for so long, they've all given so many speeches, but it felt like people, people sort of pulled their punches um, at the Oscars, and I... And I sort of wish that they had found, like, the energy that they themselves were bringing earlier. Just felt like they were, like, right. they were kind of over it now. Which, I mean, fair, but, you know, don't don't get tired too quickly. We've got a long couple of years left. Right. I mean, it's a weird expectation. Not, and, and I, I don't mean weird as a judgment. I mean weird as in surreal. Whereas that, like, every major event right now that's happening culturally is being viewed through this prism of a new president. Of who our new president is. And, like, particularly, like, the, it's a dark cloud that's kind of hanging over everything. 
And a buddy of mine actually made, like, a great observation that we don't right now have a culturally unifying thing. He, the example he used was Game of Thrones, where, like, we don't have something that's happening mm-hmm. week to week that exists in a fictional landscape for us to talk about. Everything that we have to sure. talk about right now is existing in our world, in, and in the world where Donald Trump is president. You just gotta get, you just gotta get on some of these new... Uh... New TV shows, John. He's got to start watching that Powerless on NBC, and that's your new your new hot show to distract you. Well, but I, I mean, that would be awesome. That's I do need a new show to distract me. I just watched Stranger Things this week. Mm-hmm. So wow, you're really up. You're up on the times. So. I love some being six to nine months behind the zeitgeist. I think it's great. I think it's awesome for me. Um, but it, it's a you know, there's nothing going on that everybody's watching, or at least everybody on Twitter is watching. Mm-hmm. So it's a weird moment right now where there, there's an expectation at every event. There's an expectation of the Super Bowl. There's an expectation of the Grammys. There's an, expe- there's an expectation of the Oscars. Like, all these things have kind of a unify. All these events are being viewed through this, like, who's going to say what mm-hmm. thing. And that is a... And again, without putting, I, I'm using weird not as a judgment, like, I think this pressure is necessary, but with a surreal pressure to respond in some way, in a way that it has not existed, at least for the past few years. Yeah, I agree, and I think it's a good thing. I'm into that, actually. I think that yeah. it's important not to, like, not to normalize the Trump presidency, so I am all for people feeling like it is expected of them to speak out against it. Like, yeah, if that's the bare minimum that we can all do, put pressure on people, like, yeah, I'm super into that. I agree. I agree. And he's also uniquely sensitive to celebrity. Mm-hmm. In a way that, like, I mean, even to use past presidents that weren't loved by Hollywood. Like, George Bush wasn't sensitive to that. Mm-hmm. George Bush didn't give a shit that Michael Moore called him out on the Oscars. Right. Like, apparently he was deeply wounded by the Kanye comment after Katrina. But I don't think it was because of who Kanye West was. It was because it was a thing that was said. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump existed is such a star fucker, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. that he is uniquely wounded amongst political types. I mean, including Barack Obama. By the comments made by movie stars and uh, musicians and just people he's heard of. Yeah, and that's good because that, and then I think that that it gives them more power. Like for whatever you know, whatever his weird oddities may be, he's elevated them. So if they're that is like more incumbent on them to speak out, I think. Like I was super into Meryl Streep's speech. It was at the Golden Globes. Yeah, it was. And that was like that's great. Like yeah, and if it's gonna piss him off, like cool, <laughs> good. Oh my god. This fucking guy. <laughs> this fucking guy. Um, so... Oh, oh, we, we, uh... We briefly touched on Jimmy Kimmel. But before we go, I wanted to... Before we come off the Oscars, I wanted to know what you thought of Jimmy Kimmel's performance. Uh, I, I was so-so. I actually wasn't so into it. I think, I think the show sort of, like, lacked a focus. They, they felt... It felt like they were... They went for, like, quantity over quality. It was like, let's do... We got things falling from the ceiling. We got these little cutaways to people talking about their inspirations. That's all a setup for a Matt Damon joke. We got people coming in on a tour bus. We got. It's like I was like, "There's no like I want. It. I want some sort of theme, you know? Like right. I want something that makes it feel cohesive in some way." And this felt just like 
really scattered in a way that to me just made it feel like a long night, which is not actually, I'm usually pretty like patient with things unfolding, but I was like, okay, how many times did you watch a donut fall from the sky? Like, where it was going? so, it was so long. It felt yeah. so long. I mean, I thought his opening monologue was funny and I thought the Matt Damon thing was funny. Yeah. The Matt Damon thing was probably my favorite thing of the night, but then like, okay, so make that sort of like your, your running joke and I don't know, get a little more creative with the rest of the stuff, I guess. Yeah, I mean he. It was it was weird, and, and he's a weird, comic voice for the moment. Yeah, you know he's a safe comic voice for the moment. Yeah, I mean he he is. He's just not typically that seen as that guy. I mean, he actually yeah. is like kind of fairly political in his talk in like, you know, in the way that he engages is on Twitter and on his show, but that's not what he's known for. It's not his quote-unquote thing. Right. And that wasn't what he leaned into. Really, I mean, he made Trump jokes, but it, they were not political jokes. I will say, I like Jimmy Kimmel more than I expect every time I see him. Which isn't that yeah. often. When I catch a show, I'm like, oh yeah, I actually like you more than I He's think. Funny. But me He's sort of like, generally liking him does not necessarily equate to him being like a great host in my opinion like he definitely wasn't bad i kind of prefer when the award shows really like embrace the theatricality of the night and i think with la la land being so so this old-fashioned musical like you just you had such a chance to do that and for some reason even the musical performances all felt kind of subdued especially the la la land one which like john legend sounded great on but felt like this weirdly washed out sort of slow performance like I, I don't know i want the showmanship oh my of god it. i want the tonys basically are you ready for this la la land take they they yeah. they picked the wrong two songs to nominate from oh, that movie 100%. they picked the 100%. two like kind of low energy songs mm-hmm. i also like okay so i liked la la land i didn't lo- love yeah, la la land but there were, there were okay. elements of it i loved but i liked it and i think that it, it is telling though about the things that i the, what I perceived as the flaws in La La Land, that they thought the center of their movie was City of Stars mm-hmm. and not the opening number. Yeah, yeah. I would 100% agree. I, I did not like, I really don't like City of Stars as a number. It's like very slow and boring. It is, and it's very, it's very strange to me that that team, whether it's Damien Chazelle, whether it was the publicist, thought that that was their movie. Mm-hmm. When the movie was the opening number. And in yeah. fact, it's like, the movie would have been better if they had done more group numbers like that. Yeah, yeah. I that was something I wanted as well. More of the I mean again, it's the same it's the same thought. More of the big theatricality. Yeah. I so, just always want that. Sorry, that, that that was a digression, but it was just like every time I see like like the album said the La La Land album featuring City of Stars. That's your hit single? What the fuck? What the show really needed, what the Oscars really needed was um, to nominate a song from Sing Street and get all those adorable little British kids on stage to sing their adorably upbeat 80s pop number. That's what the night needed. See, that would have been awesome. Uh, Maybe instead of uh, the Lin-Manuel Miranda rap that he wrote just to make sure he got himself on television. (laughs) Oh, I liked that. I was charmed (laughs) by that. I am never... uh, With the amount of ways I make fun of Lin-Manuel Miranda, there is definitely a ceiling on my music career. (laughs) <laughs> I, I am building that ceiling myself. <laughs> the damning tapes, you're recording them right now. Oh my god, and my, my damning tweets. <laughs> it's like, 
but you're right that there was a theatricality missing to it, which is hard when your show is what four fucking hours. Mm-hmm. Though, like, ne- I was thinking about people for next year, and my top two were Colbert and Dave Chappelle. Hmm. Interesting. I think Chappelle, like I don't know if they would ever let Chappelle do it. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, it, maybe they would. But I think Chappelle would be a fascinating Oscar host. Yeah. Again, though, I mean, I really like Dave Chappelle. I'm all for him getting more work. But again, like, I think my ideal form of the Oscars is a very theatrical, buoyant night, which I don't think is really his style. So, I mean, I'd certainly watch it and be engaged. But I think my dream, again, I just wanted to be the Tonys. Like, I just want there to be a song and dance number. Like, I love those, those ones. Billy Crystal used to do like that's sort of my ideal. So, who would your ideal host be who hasn't done it before? Well, now I can't remember. Has Hugh Jackman done it before? He has. Oh, and he opened with that big musical we already had. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Now we can just have Lin Manuel Miranda do it, since just to really make you mad. (laughs) He could do it in like five years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) We'll set him up for five years. My hot Lin-Manuel Miranda take, my really hot take, is it would be the greatest thing that ever happened to him if he stopped being famous for 18 months. Interesting. You think he's overexposed. I think if he completely receded from the limelight and just, like, raised Mm -hmm. his kid for 18 months, it would be, like, a very healthy experience for him and would improve his... Like, I think this oversaturation of him will result in... Like, Hamilton happened because he was able to be by himself and write it for years. I That will not be the case with his next show. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, but didn't you like when they went, when they went to talk to him in the audience and I was like, so excited he couldn't even talk? I thought that was very no, that's charming. A sweet that's moment charming. Oscar broadcast. That's charming. Yeah. And, and my friends like who have heard me talk about Lin-Manuel Miranda over the past year are rolling their eyes at me right now. <laughs> but it's like, he he's such a glory boy. <laughs> Maybe we need some more lady hosts. I feel like we haven't had a female host in a while, right? We had Ellen. We what used to have Whoopi. Last year was Chris Rock. Wasn't Ellen the year before her? Or maybe the year before that. I can't remember. Something like who that. Like, who would it be? Melissa McCarthy. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. That'd be a lot of fun. Melissa McCarthy would I don't, be great. I don't fully associate her with like showmanship, but I feel like she's game for anything, so she could do it. She could do it. And that would be fun, because like mm-hmm. people don't see it in her. She could do characters. She could probably sing a little bit. Like, you know, who would bring it? And this would, who knows if they would ask her to do it, but Kate McKinnon? Yeah, she'd be great. She'd be great? Who else? Like... Or maybe just like a rotating host. Maybe like you want a group, you know? Get all the Ghostbusters ladies back together. They can just host it jointly. <laughs> Imagine Leslie Jones hosting the Oscars. That'd be, be amazing. amazing. That would be amazing. I'd be so into it. She's also so earnest. It would have like a and yeah. Like, I feel like the whole opening monologue would be her freaking out about who was in the. You would love it. I would love to watch that. That'd be so charming. Um, ah, that, that's so good. I'm trying to think of like one more great. The Rock. The Rock is definitely going to do it in the future. I feel like that is unavoidable. He is, they are 100% going to yeah. ask him. Whether it's... And again, great showman. He'll be down to do anything. He is, he, man, I don't know if you follow him on Instagram, but he's down for anything. Mm-hmm. He has a great Instagram. Yeah, posting his beefs with Vin Diesel. Oh, unbelievable. But 
I would draw the line at DJ Khaled. He's not allowed to host the Oscars. <laughs> sure. Yes. Agreed. <sighs> so what movie, speaking of movies and stuff, what upcoming movies are you excited for that you haven't seen? I think the big ones coming up are I'm... Logan and Beauty and the Beast. Yes, I'm definitely excited for both of those. Super, I am like the biggest X-Men fan like in the world. I love, it's so important to right. me. I'm so excited for Logan. I've heard great things. So that one's like super high expectations. Beauty and the Beast, I spend 50% of the time thinking it's going to be great. And 50% of the time thinking it's going to be a complete train wreck. And every new clip like polarizes me further and further. So that... I'm very like, curious to see what will come of that. So that clip of her singing the opening number. Yeah. Da, 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 it pulled me in two ways. This, similarly, because she clearly can't hold sustain a note. Mm-hmm. And they didn't. But then I was trying to remember if there are any songs in the original movie that asked her to do that. But there's definitely, like, a new song if they're, that they wrote for her for the movie or, like, from the Broadway show or something. Sure. So, like, maybe Emma Watson can't really sing, and who knows how that'll play out in the movie. Um, I think, as a rule, like, Hollywood should just... And this is my big problem with La La Land, too. Like, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling are great, but let's cast people who can actually sing. Like, there's this whole world of Broadway talent these people that are not just like getting by, like they have great voices. So that is my biggest, my biggest like hold back with, with um, Emma Watson, but maybe in context, it will be really enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, it, it, my biggest thing with the new beauty and the beast movie is that all the characters look fucked up. The beast looks weird. Lumiere looks weird. Cogsworth looks weird. And it's like this chip looks really weird. Yeah, and I don't know what yeah. to make of it. So uh, Disney is remaking like basically all of their animated films as live action films. I know they're doing Mulan. I think they're doing Little Mermaid. Um, and I think Beauty and the Beast is going to be a big test because even though they already did Cinderella a couple years ago, I think I think Cinderella is less tied specifically like as a story. It's less tied specifically to the Disney movie in people's minds. There've been musical versions, and right there was the Drew Barrymore version ever after. And so it's less, it's less specifically tied to that film. So we were like, okay, right. we can accept the new Cinderella, but I think Beauty and the Beast is so specifically tied to the Disney film. And in so many people's minds, even though it was a story before that, I think that that's the way most people experience it. And I think, I think it'll be a big test whether audiences are super into embracing that or whether that's like, we don't want to see a weird CGI beast. We just prefer the cartoon. And I have no idea which way it's going to yeah, go. Yeah, neither do I. It's, it's a weird... Like, my question would is, like, who is this for? Mm-hmm. You know, is your goal to reintroduce these classics to a new generation? Is it to, like, almost... Is it almost like on Broadway when they put up a revival with a new cast? Like, is that kind of... Yeah. Is that the thought here? Cause I, I think that's a good comparison. I do think it's a... I mean, I don't know a ton of people with little kids, but I feel like every time I go to someone's house and they have kids, like, I do see those new, like, I see that Cinderella movie in all of their houses. So, like, I do think there's a sense of you're getting this generation that was raised on these movies, like, these kids that were kids when Beauty and the Beast came out, and now they have kids, and it's a way to, you know, link the generations and remake it for a new generation or whatever, you know, whatever they want to say. I do think that's kind of the thinking behind it. And then also to get people that you know, I don't have kids, but I'm going to go see it for sure. Cause I love the movie. And like you have, I think it's the idea that you're really just trying to get all markets for all different reasons. Right. 
It's a it's a weird thing. It's but like that's a weird thing to do. It's weird when you know you know Disney used to be very stingy with releasing the movies, the yeah. animated movies. There were Disney Vault. Oh, I the, remember the, the Disney Vault. Like there were there would be long periods of time where you literally could not buy the animated movies. Mm-hmm. Now that that time is over, <laughs> um, it's just a. You know, I think of this in terms of... Okay, so this is going to be a weird comparison, but in Chicago there was the Spongebob musical. Mm-hmm. And the box office take was, t- was not great. It did not sell well. And my theory of why that happened was because, you know, if, if you're a, a parent and you want to take your whole family to a show, you know the tickets are going to cost you what, like at minimum 80 bucks each. And if you're doing it for your kid, there's only... If you're going to spend that money, your kid better enjoy it. And your kid better enjoy it in a way that they wouldn't enjoy just a night at home sitting in front of Netflix. Mm-hmm. And so my, my theory on why SpongeBob didn't sell was if I'm a parent, like unless I hear the musical is a real revelation... Why on earth would I take my kid to a Spongebob musical if I could just throw them in front of Netflix for an hour and they would enjoy it just as much? Yeah, but I think that's the difference between... I think Beauty and the Beast is really... Like, Spongebob is going to be... Well, I didn't see that musical, so I can't speak to it. But I think that that's probably something that would be geared towards kids, specifically. And the parents are like, yeah, I'll I'll go along and I'll watch it with them. Oh, that's true. Beauty and the Beast is like, it really is this idea of like this all ages entertainment and it's, yes. it's not, you know, sexual at, kids can watch it, but like parents are not going to have to suffer through. Like I used yeah. to nanny for my cousins over the summer and, you know, we would go see like ice age four and that was not something I was, you know, right there to see for myself. That's what I was taking them to. But like, if I had kids and it was like, yeah, hell yeah, let's go see beauty and the beast. Like that looks so much better than 90% of kids entertainment. Right, the movies, that's fair. These movies are a lot more cross-generational. That's very true. I don't know. It, we'll, we'll, we, we'll see. I think this yeah. that's going to be fascinating. I agree. A fascinating it, test for what Disney does next. Yeah, I mean, they're apparently in talks with Donald Glover to play Simba. Oh, yeah, I did hear that. I think with, he might have officially signed on, with, actually. With James Earl Jones reprising yeah, his reprising. role as Mufasa. Right, right. Yeah, I forgot they were doing Lion King, too. Yeah, and that's part of that, like, I think the Jungle Book aesthetic, where it's all sort of... I mean, it basically is still a cartoon. It's just a CGI cartoon as opposed to a, a yeah. the hand-drawn look. So, yeah, that'll be an interesting an interesting thing. Besides Matthew Broderick, is mm-hmm. there any... And Jonathan Taylor Thomas, obviously. Mm-hmm. Is there anybody from that original movie who can't play their same part again? Like, if you're going to bring back James Earl Jones, why not right. bring, back bring, back Irons, bring back Whoopi Goldberg? Bring back Whoopi Goldberg. Bring back Jeremy Irons. Bring back Nathan Lane. Yeah. Why wouldn't Nathan well, Lane do it? Right. And again, I think that is the test. And, and I mean, maybe this is just my personal experience, but I feel like Jungle Book, the animated Jungle Book, is a little bit less iconic than the animated Lion King, at least for right. people sort of like 20s and 30s. Maybe people older have fonder memories of the Jungle Book. But again, I think that that... Jungle Book remake, it feels a little bit less like you were messing with this really, you know, the sacred cow in a way. Um, whereas Lion King, again, maybe it's just generational, but that is like, you're right, like Scar's voice is so associated with Jeremy Irons and it'll be really bizarre to have somebody else sort of voicing that character. 
Yeah, it's a weird thing, and like and with and you brought this up, but with Jungle Book and even Beauty and the Beast, there, there's a novelty in here's a real person that we're mm-hmm. gonna put in a CGI setting. Like we are going to feign in it being live action. You know, like this is how we think it would quote unquote For sure. really look. You know, and there's something cool in that with trying to make it look as natural as possible, as opposed to the hand drawn version, which is not. You know, it's not attempting that sort of realism. Right, with, it's a cartoon, for with sure. Lion King, there won't be any real person to ground it like that. Right. And it'll be weird to see how that comes out. I agree. That's Very a, weird. That's a weird sort of, like, who knows how uncanny valley that's going to be, and if, like... I imagine if they're casting James Earl Jones again, it's not going to be, like... James Earl Jones walking around in a headpiece. Like, he's <laughs> going to be voicing the character. Yes, I think that's right. So, I don't know. I do kind of appreciate that they were like, yeah, the only person who can play Mufasa is James Earl Jones. Like, that is actually a decision I can really get behind. I'm like, you knew, what, you knew what you were doing in that one case, Disney. I agree, and I, but do they draw the line there? Like, Yeah, it's a question. It's a good question. Like, who else is going to fucking play Timon? Yeah, yeah. You know, Whoopi Goldberg's really famous still. You know, it's not like yeah. Beauty and the Beast where Jerry Orbach and David Ogden Steers, who, by mm-hmm. the way, are both dead. But, you know, you were not... Even if they were both alive and still active, like, I don't know how, you know, how many David Ogden Steer stands would have lost their minds that he wasn't playing Cogsworth again. Sure. I, I think for something like Lion King, and that's related to your point that, like, you know, this is a movie we grew up with, it'll be very weird to hear other voices doing it. And to be fair, it was a little weird in Jungle Book too, which again, as I said, was not a movie that was super important to me growing up, but was certainly one I'd seen a bunch. And um, I got over it pretty quickly. And, and I'm not quite sure if that was because that it was just a successful choice or if it was because I don't, I wasn't quite as attached to the source material, but I will say it worked pretty well there. So like fingers crossed it will work again for Lion King. Well, all those people like the, all those people in Jungle Book are really fucking famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and when Lion King came out, you could argue that a lot of the cast of Lion King is are in fact more famous now than they were when Lion King <laughs> came out. Sure. You know, I think Nathan Lane's name recognition is much higher in 2017 than it was in, I don't know, what, 1994? Yeah, I think... Yeah, that might be right. It might be a 95 or 96, but sure. Yes, some, whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, but like, you have my point. Like, some yeah. of these people are more famous than they were sure. then. So it's a, it'll be a weird thing. I don't know. It, it, it's something interesting to see moving forward. Um, is there any uh, TV you're watching right now that you like? I think April's um, gonna April's gonna be nuts. Yeah, yeah. Everything is coming now out. Now that's April. good too. You're all, you're only looking forward to April. No, I, I just I I just watch Stranger Things, Caroline. <laughs> So a weird timeline here. I'm in a weird timeline here. I tried crashing, and I couldn't do it. I don't even know what that is. It's what the, is that? It's the new Pete Holmes show. Oh, sure, sure, sure. About There's a lot life. of TV. There's so much TV. Yeah, it's very overwhelming. And, and shows I'm a, that I love. That I want to keep up with it all, and it's a, it's, I mean, it's silly stress to have, but it is a stress that I sometimes feel. And shows that I love that I know are coming back in April. Like The Leftovers is coming back in April. And mm-hmm. I'm super psyched for that. 
I mean, like, it's going to make me sad. And so it's weird to say, like, yay, the leftovers. But yay, the leftovers. <laughs> um, here's what I'm watching, which I conveniently have written down, not for this podcast, but because I am a nerd and I needed to write down the TV shows that I'm watching so I could remember to keep up with them. The Bachelor, a franchise I very recently dived into and have quickly become an expert in. Um, this is Us, NBC's sappy but charming um, family melodrama legion the new fx again i love the x-men semi-related to the x-men world i guess explicitly related to the x-men world um cool and trippy riverdale aka sexy archie i uh, listeners of the national podcast are well aware of riverdale we had a big fan on last week and i just i can't believe this show exists yeah it's kind of good i i mean i'm not like fully standing for it yet, but I've enjoyed watching the first. It fills the like pretty little liars, gossip girls, sexy teen soap side of my TV watching experience, which I enjoy. Um, I still need to catch up on girls. I need to catch up on big little lies. I was home visiting my parents, which meant that I watched an episode of the PBS um, British drama, Victoria about queen Victoria was super into that. Need to catch up on that. Um, Grey's Anatomy. Season 13, 14, Man, still on strong, still baby, chugging. and I am still, still watching chugging. it. Still on board. Yep, yep. Oh, and then the other thing that I really want to check out is that um, it's it's happening this week as we record. ABC is doing this, um, like, four- or five-part miniseries about the, like, LGBT m- movement oh, through yeah. from Stonewall sort of through marriage equality called When We Rise. Yeah, that looks um, awesome. It's a, yeah, I think it looks good too. Um, it's a, it's, it's not a documentary. It's like an acting, a reenactment. There's actors in it. What I don't know what words are anymore. But I think that that looks, that looks really cool. The, the commercials are very compelling. So that's the other thing that I want to check out. And that's the extent of my um, personal list of TV shows that I need to watch. The Bachelor, you know, Bachelor, The Bachelor did this weird thing where it looped. You know, it started out as this like big. You know a monolithic cultural thing like it was getting huge ratings when it first started and then it it fell out of vogue but still existed and over the past few years has kind of come back into this weird like everybody's watching the bachelor slash bachelorette thing and i don't quite know how that happened yeah well as much as you were late to the party with stranger things i was very late to the party with the bachelor i literally started watching with the last season of the bachelorette had never seen an episode before but I have a cousin who's super into it, and she just, like, indoctrinated me into this world. And now every week I'm like, well, what's Nick up to? Who's he going to pick? I know all the terminology. I'm listening to podcasts about it. Like, I really went deep into the Bachelor world. That's, like, this, and I'm proud this, of it and also ashamed of it. This Bachelor world now exists. I, like, there, there are... Bachelor Nation. A few of my called. big... Like, there, there are people I follow for, like, like, NFL news. And every Tuesday night they're live-tweeting The Bachelor. Yeah, it's Monday this, night, but yes. Monday night, whatever. And it's, it's become this big crossover thing. And I'm like, I know. Oh, maybe I need to watch the next season. It's pretty fun. Once you sort of get I what I quickly realized is that I, I'm not sure anyone even watches this show genuinely. I think it might be a show that people solely watch ironically. And if you enjoy it on that level and you enjoy the way the show is sort of aware of that level, I think it can be a really fun thing to watch. Right. I don't know. It's like... No, my my schlocky entertainment that I just got into over the past few days is a podcast I'm listening to called Missing Richard Simmons. 
I think I've actually heard of this. I and have I not don't listened. know. I don't know if I should be listening to it, but it's fascinating. <laughs> like, like I don't know if it's like a good thing that this person's doing. But right, it is, he's investigating why Richard Simmons hasn't been seen yes. in the public, right? Yeah, Richard Simmons, but not just in public. Like this is a guy who, and I, this was a thing I didn't know. I mean, I knew who Richard Simmons was, but Richard Simmons for years throughout his fame was teaching a fitness class at his private exercise gym for $12 a class. Oh, that's so sweet. Like, it, it wasn't like this very expensive, exclusive club. It was $12. For $12, you could go to Slimmons. That was the name of his club, Slimmons. And they will teach you, and he would run an exercise class for 90 minutes, an aerobics class. And this was a this podcast is a guy who happens to be a documentary filmmaker who was going to his class for years, was friends with Richard, would go over to Richard's house for dinner. And apparently Richard Simmons did not just retreat from the public, but ghosted everybody in his life. Like all of a sudden did not show up for class, has not reached out to anybody close to him, outside of his like basically outside of his house, and nobody knows what's going on with Richard Simmons. And it's been like this for three years, and so this guy is doing this podcast to try to figure out what's going on with Richard. And I mean, considering that you're, like, the fifth person who's, i heard, who's, like, recommended this, I do think it's one I need to check out, because clearly it's something that people are, like, clearly it's very compelling. <laughs> people well, would be so into it. It's just weird, because the guy is, like, it's very unclear what's going on, and it's like it's very possible it's a mental health thing. It's you mm-hmm. know, like it, it, it's like a few theories have been floated already on the show of what happened, and the the two theories that are you know without giving spoilers away that are most based in facts and not insanity are like are basically that he's having a mental health episode as a result of of. Uh, personal tragedies or troubles. And so it's like, should I be, you're listening to this and it's like, should I be listening to this? Like kind of like very, it also gets like into very intimate details of like how he ran his class. Like apparently his classes were insane. Hmm. Like, Like he was known to like break down weeping at least once a class. Like, wow. like, because he would start talking about some sort of personal trouble. And, like, everybody in the class would just kind of be standing there. Like, watching That's this sad. man break down. It, 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 but, he, but he's also, they also paint him as this, like, very altruistic, very generous with his time, very generous. Like, there's this story of this woman in Iowa who met Richard Simmons at an appearance she who you know she was very overweight and she gave richard her phone number and he called her every sunday for years as a weight loss therapist for no money and would just like talk to her and help create meal plans and exercise plans and stuff like that like this That's awesome. like this was the guy he was he was very engaged with people and which is why it's so strange that he stopped that all it's of a sudden yeah, and yeah. With, with no warning. Yeah, my associations with Richard Simmons are, are him being, like, super kind and supportive and, like, body positive before that was a thing that we talked about. And, like, 
not so much like you need to have this perfect fit body, but like, yeah, let's make you the best versions of you. So that is a bummer. Which is noted in the show. Struggles. Which like the show points out that, that he came up in a time when there were a lot of exercise tapes. Mm-hmm. Like they contrast him with James, with J- James Fonda, Jane Fonda, who in Jane Fonda's workout tape, she was surrounded by these very fit, very slim, mm-hmm. very toned people. And that's not who Richard Simmons surrounded himself with. And so it's just, it's this very interesting, like, kind of melancholy look at this guy and why he would choose to cut everybody off with no warning to all of a sudden retreat. And it's, it's worth checking out, mm-hmm. but you also know that you're going to feel like a little weird. You know, it's like yeah. the way, it's the way we all felt weird with cereal. I was about to say, this sounds like the new cereal. It's like in serial was this very intense look at this the first season at least at this very personal tragedy of this group of people who never asked to be public figures mm-hmm. you know and you never know if these people you know with all and i love serial with all the love to sarah Koenig in the world but like you never know if these people are maybe kind of being exploited like you don't know if these people mm-hmm. are for sure you don't know if these people are ready for this Which, by the way, the tying back to our Oscar talk, I felt that way about the bus thing yesterday. Yeah, I hated that so much while it was happening. And then thinking about it after, I just, like, hated it more and more. It was this weird sense of, like, let's parade these normal and un- unexpecting people and just, like, laugh at them. But I also hate I hate any prank show. I don't really like surprises. Like, I don't know. So that was really, like, a bummer for me to watch. I think it's, like, a... It, it's kind of a weird... It's kind of a mean thing to do to a person to put them in a position that you don't know if they can handle. Yes. Like the... And then kind of laugh at them about it when they can't handle it. And then also, like, that was a low point for Jimmy Kimmel, too. Like, making fun of his inability to pronounce an Asian woman's name and, like, calling... Saying she had a weird name. Like, that's that's pretty basic, like, 21st century etiquette that you should have learned by now. Yeah. So I don't really cut him any slack for that one. the, The prototype for that is Susan Boyle. Mm-hmm. Like Susan Boyle was this woman who became who auditioned for this show, so she chose to do that. Yeah, but I don't think she's. But you know, it, it's pretty well documented that the the intense, intense intention that she got right. for that was something that she was not prepared for, just emotionally. Yeah, I mean, and, who could be? Like, and so it's a weird, and so for something like Serial or, or Missing Richard Simmons, you you never quite know if the subjects are ready. For prime time. For sure. Are ready to handle it because it's, if you're not, it could be overwhelming, you know. Well, and to bring it back to The Bachelor, that's why you can feel guilt-free watching that show because it's been on so long that these people know exactly what they're signing up for. So you can feel guilt-free while you laugh at them (laughs) because they weren't tricked into it. Yeah, I mean, that's nice. It's like, you you don't want to see people not in on the joke. That's kind of sad and yeah. weird to watch. Agreed. Um, unless the person deserves it. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, unless it's, like a pub- like a, unless it's a public person who deserves to be the butt of a joke. Or can handle a joke. Which is different. Well, and that's the thing about those, like, I think that's the Oscars. It's like this weird bubble, and we're going to laugh at these celebrities, and sort of bringing these 
everyday people into it was like this weird bursting of the bubble and it, it really just made I was like ooh the Oscars are kind of gross like we're just have these rich people sitting in this room while normal life is going on and they're in these expensive gowns and now we're gawking at average people and like I don't even think any of the celebrities handled it poorly or anything like I thought I thought like you know Denzel jumping up and getting involved was very sweet but like it, I don't know, really, maybe other people found it funnier, but it was just really off-putting well, to me. Well, I, I think they thought it was going to be charming. Like, I, don't, yeah. I think that they did not think of how a person would actually react in that right. moment. Like, they thought they were, like, screaming and crying. Yeah, and... they thought these people were going to be jubilant and did not, or and that's what I think they thought was going to happen. Yeah. Like, it was going to be, like, this really nice emotional moment. Mm-hmm. And these people were just kind of shocked and overwhelmed, yeah. which is, in retrospect, exactly how you would expect someone to react in that moment. Like, oh, I'm walking into this big auditorium where everybody I've ever seen in a movie is sitting in the front row, and there are loads of cameras, and, I, like, it's, they did, I, I don't, I just think it wasn't very well thought out. No, not at all. And you had to take away, like, all they wanted to do was take pictures. You need to have made those people, like, turn over their cell phones for the tour or whatever they their fake story was for yeah. them. Because that just, yeah. I mean, again, it's a very realistic thing. Oh, I want to take this cool photo when I'm at the Oscars. But that's not the most well, amazing thing to watch. Yes, and the guy, like, I mean, that's also, you know, uh, without getting too much into the details, that guy also was not a guy who was ready for prime time. Mm-hmm. It was right. Like, I mean, who and the the thing they didn't tell these people that's what they were doing. Like they yeah. just really forced them into and they, this and world, they, and they did not take care. I mean, talking about the first, the main guy Gary, they did not, they did not foresee that people may look into who get into Gary's life, mm-hmm. which is which, by the way, is unfortunate for Gary. You know, right? Yeah, but, of like, course. Th- like that's. Like, he doesn't deserve that. He doesn't deserve to have people poke around in his life like that. That's not nice. Yeah. No, that one really missed the mark for me. So, I don't know. So that's what that's what I got. Uh, I think that's it for today, Caroline. Thank you so much for coming on this week. Do you have anything to plug? Any, uh, um, where, where can we read your writing? Where can we hear you? Sure, sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Of course. A blast to talk pop culture with you. Um, people can find me probably the easiest places on Twitter. I'm at Caroline Sita. Last name is S I E D E. Right. Um, find me on there. I'm always, you know, I'm tweeting pretty much 24 seven. So great Twitter follow. that's where I am. Great Twitter oh, follow. Thank you. I recommend everybody do it. I'll put your handle in the episode description. If people want, cool. if people want the, uh, want the, you know, the direct feed into Caroline Sita takes. Yeah. And the direct insight into my mind, a mix of absurdity, politics, feminism. Sometimes just I tweet about uh, my RCN cable provider. You know, you never know what you're going to get. Who doesn't love that? Yeah. All righty. Thank you so much, Caroline. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.